The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Hey, is everybody comfortable? Feel like you're scooted in enough? No two stragglers, hopefully. Um, well, hey, we get to get some time tonight as women, which is awesome. Um, I always love when there's a group of women that get to be together. I think it just somehow is good for our soul. I think it's just good for our soul. Yeah, see, you do too. I love that. That makes it easy. Um, even though I know you're probably curious, what are the guys talking about? I want to know their weaknesses, right? And they're like, what is going on with girls? What do they think about? Um, but anyway, it's good for our soul to be together tonight. And I know I am excited about that. Um, well, as uh, Ryan said, for those of you that haven't met, I'm on staff here at the Inn, have been here for the last um, several years, and it's been an absolute um, pleasure and delight um, to be able to get to walk alongside and um, be a part of the lives of you guys um, at this junction. I know the Inn was really important to me when I was a student here at UW and in a sorority and just figuring out what the heck life um, and faith was all about um, and what that was going to be about for me. Um, well, as Ryan also said this quarter, so we've been looking at strength and weakness, that phrase, when I am weak, I am strong. Thinking about that phrase a little bit lately, um, obviously, in preparation for this talk, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, when you're weak, you actually don't feel very strong. So how is it that when you're weak, you're strong? Because I know that when I am feel weak, the opposite of what I feel is strong. I actually feel quite weak. When I'm weak, I feel weak. When I feel strong, I feel strong. So what's up with the, when I'm weak, then I am strong? Well, I get to share a little bit. This is actually kind of a laughing matter to me right now. But yesterday, something happened that just like flashed my weakness in front of my face. And I got to learn again and anew here again um, that when we are weak, we are strong. Yeah, so there's this speeding ticket <laughs> that I got a while ago, actually kind of a long while ago, uh, about a year ago, in May 2009, <laughs> unfortunately, driving home, I was driving home from Spokane, it was my brother's wedding, so I'd spent about four days over there, worked hard, the wedding was on a Monday, so I was driving home on a Tuesday, wanted to get back to be here, you know, from in and meet with people beforehand. And I am just pulling one of those in the car where it's like, the music is so loud. My windows are down. I'm singing at the top of my lungs because I just don't want to fall asleep. I should have just stopped and taken, taken a nap for sure. But I look, all of a sudden look in my rear view mirror and there's a cop there with his lights on. I have no idea how long that cop was behind me. I couldn't hear a thing because I was singing and the music was too loud. I panicked. I pull over. I'm in the left-hand lane. I pull over to the left-hand side of the road, which that is a big (laughs) no-no. Big no-no. So I'm like in the median on the grass. The cop comes over, you know, tells me I'm speeding. It wasn't like too much, but tells me I'm speeding and tells me that he could charge me like $1,500 for pulling over to the left side. So, anyway, the story goes on, and why that affects me, as, even as of yesterday, is that I was like, well, you know, sometimes you can, like, write those letters, and then they decrease the amount that you owe. So, that was my strategy. I got back, and I was like, well, I'll just write my excuse um, of why. I was in the wrong, for sure. I'll write my excuse, send it in. 
um, and see if they, you know, decrease the amount I owe my penalty. Um, got the letter back. No, they said you are guilty of both speeding, you know, speeding and falling too close. Um, so then this is where it starts to get into where me revealing one of my weaknesses. And that is that this is one thing, if there's one thing that I feel like I am constantly um, not living up to where I'd like to be, uh, that's often in the matter of just my own personal business, like my finances. I'm not financially where I'd like to be. I do things financially that aren't always smart. I'm getting married in a couple months, which is super, super exciting. Um, there are times when I thought I'd never get married. So now it's two months away, um, which is exciting. But I'd always hoped that I would have zero credit card debt when I, you know, got married. And now all of a sudden I have to, like, show him that I have debt. And now he has to all of a sudden, like, bring that into him, you know. Not super proud of that. So tickets now go along inside of this. Sometimes ne- get neglected Emily's personal business type thing. So this goes on. I uh, get the response. I turn it back in, yada, yada. All this to say, there were some notifications I sent. I thought I paid. Turns out I didn't pay enough. Then I thought I paid enough, oh, yada, yada. And uh, I also get a notice from the collections agency <laughs> that says, you owe this much money, which is like three times as much of what I originally owed for this parking ticket or the speeding ticket. Um, so I call yesterday. That was like two weeks ago. So I still like delayed on taking care of this. And so I call yesterday and I say, oh, well, can I just pay you? There's miscommunication. Still a little bit using excuses. And um, she says, no, yeah, that's not going to work. You're just going to have to pay the collections agency. They already have it. And uh, do you know that your driver's license is suspended? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Nope. Got no notification of that. Aren't you supposed to notify people of those types of things? Uh, yeah. Is your address updated with um, the department's licensing? No. No, I moved. I didn't, I didn't update it. Oh, I probably should have taken care of that. Um, so anyway, she said, and do you know that if you get pulled over while you're driving, that's actually illegal and you'd be arrested. And I thought, that's great. She said, yeah, that would be a criminal offense and you will have a criminal record. <laughs> awesome. That's been since December <laughs> that I could have at any point been arrested. Um, and had a criminal record. Then I'd bring in more than just credit card debt to my marriage. <laughs> well, the moral of the story, and it turns out for me, is that I just think about, man, what a pain in the butt this has been. If I would have just admitted it in the beginning, I would have paid the least amount that I would have paid, and I wouldn't have to have now my driver's license suspended. Much, much less cost. And as I thought about that, even as I was starting to prepare it, even as I was thinking, like, God, I feel so stupid. I'm so sorry. What do I do about this? What do I make of this situation? I started to think about how that, what happens, what I did with this incident of a speeding ticket is so often what we do with our weaknesses. We take the things in our lives, and instead of just looking at them for what they are, you're right, I was speeding. Let me take care of that. Instead of, instead of doing that, Sometimes we just want to not admit them. We just kind of wish them away. I kind of felt like that whole time I was like, oh, yeah, that notification that's on my desk. I'm just going to like, uh, it'll take care of itself. I'm just going to walk away from that. I'm kind of going to hide. I wish I could just hide that issue, bury it, cover it up, make it go away, wish it away. And then boom. What we end up finding out is that we have consequences that are a lot greater and a lot more costly than we would have ever wished or imagined that they could be. 
And I think that is, that's how it is for us as women, especially with our weaknesses. Oh, can I just hide those? I'll just bury it, wish it away. Maybe it'll just take care of itself. And then all of a sudden we find out that it's this bigger deal and much more costly than we would have ever wanted it to be. So what we get to do tonight as women is just talk about how do some of this, how do some of these dynamics of strength and weakness play out for us? What are some of the weaknesses or some of the things that really keep us from admitting and embracing and even having our weaknesses be the place that God could meet us the most and transform us? What are those things that keep us from admitting those, from accepting our weaknesses and knowing that they're part of us and that God loves us in spite of those things? And wants to use us in spite of those things. Well, last week when Becca shared, at the very end of her talk, she said something along the lines of, um, I am broken. So come with me. Come with me and be healed with me. So I say that to you guys tonight. As we talk about strengths and weaknesses as women, I am in the same boat. As I was so... um, quickly reminded yesterday with this issue. I am on this journey with you, figuring out weaknesses, being stuck in weaknesses at times, and sometimes hiding and denying weaknesses and putting a mask up. So I'm with you. So tonight, come be healed with me as we talk about this and the dynamic with women. What we're also going to do is look at it. We're going to look at one of the women in scripture that I think has something to teach us about strength and weakness. So I want to uh, just let her story be an example with us um, that we can learn from. And that's going to be the story of Esther. Um, Before I get into that story, uh, let me just pray for our time. Lord, I thank you that you love women. Lord, that you love us, that you created us. Lord, and that you love um, when we can be together and we can experience your freedom and walk outside one another. So we pray for tonight. God, I pray that the word that you have for each one of us, one of us would reach our ears and our heart. Lord, that we um, could be redeemed and transformed in our weakness. Lord, I pray that you would use me during this time. Lord, that you would allow my weaknesses uh, to be known and to be places where you are glorified as well. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, the story of Esther. I'm going to cruise through some of the context of it. Um, but the Israelites, Jewish people, they had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Then after that, the Persians ended up taking um, over the Babylonians. So the Israelites are now um, in bondage and captivity to the Persian Empire. And the king of the Persian Empire is King Xerxes. Two X's. <laughs> had to ask Janie, uh, am I pronouncing that right? Because that's a little tricky. King Xerxes. So he had a lot of wealth. Well, first of all, he had a queen, Queen Vashti. Um, and he had a lot of wealth. So he ended up throwing this huge banquet, this seven-day banquet. And at the end of this time, on the seventh day, this is what it says, quote, from Scripture. When the king was in high spirits from wine, do you know what that means? <laughs> so when he, it was the seventh day, and he was drunk. I automatically think, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to have this be offensive, but I automatically think of Greek week. (laughs) It was Friday. Um, What he did is he called, he wanted 
Queen Vashti. Are we surprised by this? Once again, I go, uh, booty call. (laughs) He was drunk, and he wanted a woman to be with him. So he calls the queen. And she says no. Good for her, right? He's enraged. And in his fury, he and his buddies, they discuss, what are we going to do about this? So they say this kind of action cannot start taking place all over the kingdom. If she gets away with this, then other women are going to think they can say no too. This is a patriarchal, patriarchal time where women were essentially property. And you couldn't say no. So that was a pretty bold move by Queen Vashti to say no to the king. I respect her for that. So what does he do though? He demotes her, says you're no longer queen. You'll never, no longer be in the palace. Um, and then he said, we're going to find someone else. From throughout the, throughout the empire, we're going to find someone else that's going to come in um, and be the queen. And so because he was king, he kind of had, he wanted the pick of the best. So he had everyone, had his people go out and bring women. Um, and then they would stay. <laughs> then they would stay in some place under the care of someone else and went through beauty treatments for 12 months. And then they would be brought before the king. And if the king was pleased with them, they would stay. Um, if not, I don't know what happened to them. But I think the bachelor stole that idea <laughs> from the story because it kind of sounds similar. And I think about when I was reading this, I thought about what a hotbed that would be, that situation for all of the things that we as women can get totally trapped in and deceived by as a situation where you're competing with one another for the attention of a king. That sounds horrible. I think about insecurity, the confusion around what's beautiful and beauty. Oh, yeah, the competition and comparison. So anyway, to continue with the story, Esther was one of the women who came. Now, Esther was a Jewish girl. She was an orphan. She had been taken in by Mordecai, her uncle. um, And she was taken in. And it turns out that of all the women, the king was most attracted to Esther. We kind of find out why later on. And we find out that maybe God had his hand of provision in picking, having Esther be chosen. Well, as Esther was queen, one of the king's officials came and... um, was honored, and so what ended up happening is someone was honored, people would pay homage and bow, and so Esther's uncle, Mordecai, wouldn't bow to this person, and because he was Jewish and only bowed to, to Heavenly Father or Holy God, and um, so this officer, this official, hated that, was enraged, and convinced the king to send an edict in the whole kingdom that the Jews um, would all be put to death. And so Mordecai, the uncle, is obviously in distress about this. So he goes to Esther, because Esther is the one who is a fellow um, Israelite, and she's in the king's palace, and perhaps she could speak to him about changing this and reversing this. So we're going to pick up the text here. I'm going to actually read it right out of the story. Esther initially says, well, if I do that, he might kill me, because he hasn't summoned me. And any time you go to the king, if he hasn't summoned you, uh, he might kill you. So Mordecai, let's see, looks like I marked, oh, here we go. So when Esther's words reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So what could have kept Esther stuck? What could have kept her paralyzed? What could have kept her not taking action in this situation? I think it's some of the same things that keep us often stuck. Often, often from not taking action or often uh, not able to face some of our weaknesses and therefore find Christ's strength. Pride, shame, and comparing ourselves to one another. So for pride, for Esther, perhaps you see a little bit of this in that the king or that Mordecai himself said, oh, don't you think you'll be excluded? Maybe she started to think, I'm better than the rest of those those Jews, and he won't hurt me. Maybe she thought, this is what's most powerful to me with this story, or she could have thought that it would have been based upon her own merit, upon her own abilities, upon her own beauty, upon everything that she has, that she could have walked to the king in her own strength, relying on her own strength. As women, sometimes we can have, we are sharp, right? Man, we can figure out how to manipulate situations. We can figure out how to seduce. We can rely upon ourselves and our own strengths to get what we want. Because sometimes we know what we want, whether it's good for us or not. And we can figure out how to get that on our own. And Esther chose not to do that. I think about pride for us and what it, how it keeps us from looking at our weaknesses. And I think, and what I hear from people, one of the things I hear from people is, yeah, basically I, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be the person that needs other people. I mean, I can't tell anyone else my need because I'm the person that's taking care of other people. That as women, there's almost this pressure in this society to be the everything woman. Right? We come from an era where at one point the damsel in distress waiting for a prince was kind of who was glorified. And now we get confused because it's like, I don't want to be that weak person. I want to be the confident, strong, I can do it. And there is such, I'm glad I'm in this era where that's the truth, where I have the freedom to do so many things. But sometimes it puts this pressure on us of wearing the, the face and the mask that says, I'm confident, I'm happy, I can make this happen. I don't need anyone. And maybe we actually believe that a little bit. Fake it till you make it. Man, I hear women say this often. This is my story for sure. I will be everything to all people. You want me to be this? I will show you that face. You want me to be this? I'll show you that face. Whatever's praise, we can be sharp. I can figure out what's acceptable in this group. I'm going, to be, I'm going to figure out what that is, and I'm going to be that. And so we wear a mask, and we play a part, and we end up fooling ourselves even. And we end up losing ourselves. Because our pride can keep us from saying, this is who I am, for better or for worse. And then shame. Esther. 
we look at the story of Esther, she was going to the king, essentially, she was going to end up saying, the people that you apparently despise and you're going to take their lives, I'm one of them. Shame. She could have had shame about her family background. It even says that she didn't have a mom or a dad. She was orphaned. I'm assuming that even among the Israelites, maybe she felt weak there. And to be a part of the people that were being oppressed. Could she have felt shame about her background? I think as women, there are several areas. Shame can be pervasive. Man, I felt shame. I'm telling you guys now about this story, because now I can laugh a little bit about it. But there is still truth that I feel shame about my financial situation. I feel shame about not taking care of that ticket sooner. I'm embarrassed by that. I know when I got that call or I was on the phone, I was walking back from my house to the human. Well, I was heading actually to the Av, and the human trailer is on the way. And I was walking to the Av to go get some work done. And um, my temptation, and I really thought this, I was like, I'm just going to walk down 50th and then to the Av, even though the fastest way would be going through the trailer. But I was just feeling ashamed. And I thought, wow, shame. I feel shame over this. And immediately, my instinct is to avoid and to run and to hide and to isolate. And that's always what shame does to us. Well, for women, this is interesting to talk about. And I want to talk about, because we have the opportunity to just be women here tonight, and I feel a little bit more freedom with just women um, than guys, but when we talk about shame, um, with one particular area, I think this is often where guys get called out. I just picture this room full of both, and someone says, now guys... I'm talking to you here. And it has to do with some sort of sexual sin. And I always think, uh, hello. Uh, anybody else ever struggle with anything that has to do with sexuality or sexual sin? For guys, this can sometimes be maybe a place where it's maybe an acceptable weakness because it gets talked about, especially in a place like a church or here, that it's, you're confident that there's at least one other person that feels the same way or is dealing with the same thing that you're doing. But for women, I think sometimes it's not often mentioned. And so I want to mention it tonight. I know that when I speak with women, there's times that I hear, hear people say, uh, in with relation to their past or the present things, whatever has to do with their sexuality or sexual sin, that they just feel dirty. They don't know really how else to explain it except for I just feel ick and dirty. That there's shame, that that is actually shame. That we just like to hide. We like to bury. But I fear that it becomes something so much greater and keeps us paralyzed. I think women too, we have sexual desire that we don't know what to do with sometimes. And sometimes we can use this to our advantage. I mean, I'm 31, and I've been single. I'm getting married soon, but I've been single. And I'm a sexual being. So there's been times I've felt like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this desire? What do I do? And at times, I can feel ashamed. And like a godly Christian person, wouldn't feel those things. Sometimes we, like guys, can, can give in to things and regret it afterwards. 
think culturally, sometimes we can do whatever. We can be told that we just need to do whatever it takes to get the guy to desire us. And so we do things that we really didn't want to do. I think also in relation to sexuality and sexual sin, that there's even the thought of like homosexual thoughts. What do I do if those happen? What do I do if I feel that way? Or even have an experience about that? What do I do and can I even, is that a weakness that is going to totally exclude me from every person I know? Or is that something that too can be a place that God can meet us in our weakness? I know for me, this is part of my story, is that I didn't, I didn't date really anyone until I was a senior in college. So my first kiss was when I was like 23 after college. So I felt like I was so weird. So weird. I was in a sorority and I avoided the game. I never, because I was like, never been kissed. What's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. Thought that a lot. And there were times I was like, I don't know. Maybe I am gay. I don't know. My sister once told me that I was. Because I didn't have a boyfriend. She was joking, but kind of the thought comes to mind of like, I don't know. Well, the thing, I bring this up tonight. I bring up this issue of shame around sexual sexuality because I think it just holds us so tight. And my hope is that tonight, if there is one person out here that just needs to hear that you are not the only one that has dealt with any sort of regret or shame with regard to sexuality, then that, I want you to be free in that, and that to even give you the courage to know that you can, you can, you can talk with someone about that, that you are not stuck, that your story is not written, that shame that would tell us that you are now one step lower than what you hoped you would be, that that is not true. Third thing that I think we deal with as women, comparison. Every person, I talked to a bunch of students, you guys, staff, some of my friends about some of these issues around weakness, strength, women, and every single person said comparison was huge. Comparison was something that keeps us stuck in weakness, keeps us from faking or keeps us faking strength even. I think about Esther in this story. And how she could have compared herself with someone else. I wonder when she got the word from Mordecai of like, you got to do something. Maybe it is for such a time as this that you are there. I wonder if she was thinking, yeah, that other girl that was also could have been the queen. She would have known how to handle this. Maybe she would have known what to do. She had the gifts that it took. She had the smarts that it took. Maybe she had the beauty that it took. Man, we compare ourselves. I wonder if Esther compared herself. And wish that there was someone else and thought that there could be someone else who would be stronger and more equipped than she was. Well, just as like finding out how much, if this is like on the mark with you guys, if comparison is part of your guys' life, just if you've compared yourself or what do women compare themselves with? Anything. Just shout it out. Other women. women. What other things? What maybe even specific things? Pop culture. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> Size of boobs. 
I could make a joke about that. What else? <laughs> Weight, for sure. What else do we compare ourselves? Reputation. Reputation. Yeah. Men. Yeah. Guys, for sure. Yeah. Jeans, <laughs> hairstyles, jobs, grades, uh, sense of humor. Anything else someone's dying to shout out? Well, you get the picture that there's so many things I think that we can compare ourselves, measure ourselves, measure ourselves with. I think what comparison, and even as I talk to people, what comparison ends up doing to us is that it ends up um, making us believe that there is an ideal, there is the ideal person out there. And that that ideal is our ticket to success and happiness and fulfillment and contentment. Man, if we could reach up, measure up to that ideal, ah, we'd have it made. If we had that, man, maybe we'd be more confident. Maybe we'd be more fulfilled. Comparison either makes us feel like we're too much or we're not enough. Because we can't and we can never quite live up. And what it ends up doing is it ends up making us devalue ourselves and not even be able to see who we are. I think about comparison sometimes. Like this conversation happens occasionally. Like someone will come up and be like, oh, I like your hair. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, it's really straight. Thanks. And they're like, oh, I always wish that I had really straight hair. And this is someone talking to me who has, you know, beautiful curly hair. And my response is, oh, I've always wanted curly hair. And they're like, oh, I always wanted straight hair. <laughs> and we're both totally not appreciating the gift that we have. We just want what the other person has. And I think about how this goes even deeper for us. Like, for me, the thing that was part of the ideal that, man, I just wanted to, I wanted it. And what I hated about myself was that I was a quieter personality. That I wasn't someone that was, well, I should say it like this. What I, what I idealized was the person that was outgoing. They were always talking about something. They were really interesting. They were really passionate. You know, with the whole, like, too much or not enough thing, I always relate more with the person that's, like, not enough. Like, not emotionally enough, I don't often cry. Not passionate enough, I don't get like, ah, crazy excited. You know, not smart enough, pretty average as far as that goes. I'm not a leader, or like, just strong enough. And to me, success was being that person, that gregarious personality. And so I hated and I felt so insecure that I was quiet and didn't have something to say. And sometimes didn't know what to say. So situations would happen, maybe I'd be with a group of people and I'd be insecure about this fact that I'm quiet. So I'm thinking to myself, Emily, just be more outgoing. Come on, just be more bold. You can do it. Come on. And so I would be like, come on, be funny. Think of something funny to say. What joke can you say right now? What witty response can you have? What really interesting um, topic of conversation or story can you just throw in there to get this, gen- you know, generate all this enthusiasm and, and good times? And then that, of course, that pressure would just cycle into this feeling anxiety, which would then make me just 
close my mouth even more and feel more timid and more shy and more quiet. And then I'd go to bed that night and I'd think, I don't think I talked all day. And I'm supposed to be like this great, amazing person who's leading people and I said nothing today. (laughs) What am I supposed to do about that? I hated that about myself. So I was shocked. I was shocked, shocked, shocked when my friend, well, she wasn't my friend at the time, but now she is. Um, but we lived together out in D.C. I don't know. It wasn't because of anything she did, but we just, you know, this was kind of the beginning of the friendship. But we had lived together in the same kind of community out in D.C. when I lived in D.C. post-college for a little bit. And she came up to me one day. And first of all, she was the person I idealized. Man, she had it together. Fun, adventurous, outgoing, name it. She was my ideal. And she came up to me and she was like, Emily, I just have to tell you that I've always wished that I was like you. And I was like, (laughs) I have always wished that I was like you. She basically said, I wish that I didn't have to be the center of attention. I wished she felt she was on the opposite spectrum where she always felt like she was too much. She was too bold. She was too vocal too emotional. I looked to her, measured myself against her. She looked at me, measured herself against me. Man, and we both would ignore in that, ignore the gift that we'd been, we'd been given. We'd totally deny it. That was the beginning of a kind of a change of my thought around comparison and around ideals because I started to realize ideal doesn't exist. That's why it's so tricky is because it actually doesn't exist. And so we're measuring ourselves against something, man, we're hoping that it's going to give us contentment and fulfillment, but it really, that person that we're idealizing isn't content either. They have their own set of weaknesses. And then to top it all off, through her voice and through the voice of other people, the truth started to become known to me People started to begin to say, man, Emily, the place where I experience the grace of God the most in your life is in your eyes and in your ears. The fact that you see me and that you hear me. That I wasn't a really vocal person, that I could listen. And people have said that to me even in this job, and I've started to just embrace that. That's how God has gifted me. And that is a gift he has given me. And I love it. I love that I get to listen. I love that people trust me to listen. And I am absolutely astounded that the thing that I have been embarrassed about and didn't like about myself for so many years is the place where God's glory is most made known. His strength is most made known. And the very thing I tried for so long to just change about myself. Well, what moves us? Man, we've talked about three big things for us as women, but what moves us? What moves us from hiding those things, being stuck in them because it keeps us from being able to acknowledge um, our weakness and therefore find restoration and even the power of Christ? Well, again, I want to look at Esther. And if there's anything that you take from this message tonight, I want us to hear and see and visualize um, Esther, what Esther did. Because I think Esther's response is phenomenal. And I think if there's anything we take, it's that we go, yes, I am going to respond like Esther did in this situation. We're going to mimic her. We're going to learn and we're going to try to mimic what she does. 
in our own genuine ways. The first thing, uh oh, I lost my spot. Um, there we go. So the first thing that she does, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I don't want us to get distracted with the fasting part of it or not eating because I know that holds many of us in bondage. But what I do want us to focus on is that Esther said, go, Mordecai, get all your people and pray for me. Will you pray for me? Esther didn't rely on her own strength. She didn't deal with her own shame by herself, if it was there, or compare herself. Instead, she said, go and pray for me. Do we have people in our lives who will pray for us over our weaknesses? I think here at the end, we have the prayer corner in the back, and we'll often say, you know, if you need prayer tonight, go ahead. Someone's in the back. You can pray. Um, And often what I think, and so often we're like, I don't want anyone to see me go back there because I don't want them to think that I have a weakness. Um, But instead, what's in my, my instinct is to be like, oh, my gosh, if there is something that is holding you, we should all be just like cheering for the fact that we could get prayer from someone else over the things that are holding us and keeping us stuck. In my own story, man, there was a church service that I went to. This was a se- during a season of time. I know I'm kind of all over the place with my story, but there was a season of life where I was really depressed, like big-time depressed, clinically depressed, would barely leave my house. But I went to this church service where a lot of my family's friends were and a lot of my friends were. And in the church service, it was pretty bold. And they said, if anyone feels totally stuck, stand up and come forward for prayer. Everybody was sitting. And I knew in my gut that I was not okay. And this was a season in my life when I was starting to say, it is okay to not be okay. So I stood up and I walked forward. Man, people prayed with me that night. A couple people prayed with me that night. And they really, that prayer was effectual. A layer of depression came off of me that night. Because people prayed for me. And I asked people to pray for me. Well, people pray with you. The other thing that Esther does here is she says, I'm going to do the same. So with our weaknesses, have we done the same? Have we prayed? Have we knelt on our knees before the Lord and been honest with our weakness. Sometimes it's easier to do that with other people than it is to do that with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we think that that is the very place that we can't be honest. But the truth is that that is the place where we can be the most honest. I think about Paul when he, ple- he says he pleaded with the Lord that the thorn would be taken out. The thorn of his flesh would be taken out. He pleaded. Are we pleading with the Lord? Will we have the audacity and the courage to plead with the Lord over our strengths or over our weaknesses? And finally, you might be someone out here who says, yeah, uh uh-huh, I've prayed with people. I've sought that out. I've prayed by myself, still feeling pretty stuck, still feeling pretty stuck in my weaknesses. Well, the third thing that I want to say tonight and that I want to encourage us in tonight is to trust in the slow, sometimes slow work of Jesus Christ. Man, sometimes we want a quick fix. 
Tell me exactly what to do. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to be done with this thing. I'm done with it. Sometimes that's not God's timeline, and sometimes it takes time. And sometimes we can get discouraged in the mix because we're not fixed yet. First of all, I don't know if we ever will be fixed where we don't feel weakness. But we can get to a place where our weaknesses don't hold us, but instead we experience Christ's power right in the midst of them. So I want to end, I want to end with reading um, a poem that I know encouraged me a ton, especially when I felt like, man, I have a weakness it's just not gone yet. So for all of us, I just want, I want us to think about things we've talked about. Where have you felt, where has pride held you back? Maybe shame. Maybe comparison. Maybe one place, like I said in the very beginning, man, we don't like to feel weak. But what is one place you feel weak and you'd love to see the power of Christ to meet you there? I'm going to first read the promise that's in Second Corinthians, that was said to Paul as he pleaded with the Lord. So as you think of that thing, hear these words, and I pray that the Lord will just speak that to you personally, that you will know it's true of you. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Still thinking of that. Hear this. Above all, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We would like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today. What time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming in you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling in suspense and incomplete. Will you pray with me? Lord, again, I just thank you um, for a woman. Lord, that you love us and adore us. Lord, that in our imperfection, you love us perfectly. God, I pray tonight for myself and every woman here that we would hear your voice looking us, your face looking us right in our eyes as we confess our weakness, as we confess the thing that we think that separates us from you, might we hear the words that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. We ask 
for your transforming work and your hand to be upon us. In your name we pray. Amen.